Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jen McClellan, who is the founder of Plus Size Birth, and we're going to be talking about just that. What is it like and what do you need to know about being in a bigger body in pregnancy and birth? How can you set yourself up to truly have your best birth possible? And Jen, a lot of that starts with your provider. So let's start right there. Welcome to the show. What are some of the things that we need to know about finding a provider that is bigger body friendly, is familiar what it's with what it's like being pregnant in a bigger body? Um, and then what are some red flags that we're looking out for? Sure. Hi, he, he. welcome. Thank you for welcoming me to the show. I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, there's so much that goes into having a plus size pregnancy that we feel is like stigmatized by society, right? You go online and you don't see images of bodies very commonly that are plus size and pregnant. Uh, you, um, you know, hear like, oh, you're doom and gloom. And uh, for the past over a decade now, I've been really working to provide evidence-based positive information around how to have an empowered plus size pregnancy and birth. So thank you for having me on. I, um, I definitely, my biggest soapbox is to connect with a size-friendly care provider whenever possible. So I define that as a care provider that practices evidence-based compassionate care, right? So it's not just providing evidence-based recommendations, but it's doing it in a compassionate way and hopefully even being aware of some of their own biases, including size biases. Uh, So that's, it can be difficult, right? And I think for those of us listening who exist in a larger body, myself included, uh, many of us have a history of trauma with care providers and have been mistreated. And so going into pregnancy, especially for the first time, if you, um, you know, have this OB that you've been with for years for a pelvic exam, you're like, well, I'm somewhat comfortable here. So I might as well just go with them they may or may not be the right fit for your maternity care. So a lot of that comes down to just really trying to assess if they are the right care provider for you and specific questions we can go over too. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack with, with going into all of this. 
Um, but th it's really key whenever possible to connect with someone who helps you to feel empowered and that you can have a healthy outcome. Absolutely. So that feeling that you're talking about is huge. You guys tap into that instinct. If you leave your appointments and you're feeling like, golly, I like feel a little bullied or like, gosh, I feel like that was totally hijacked or that totally went in a different direction than I thought. You may not be with the right care provider. So Jen, when we are looking for care providers, what kind of questions are we asking? What kind of statements are we looking for? How are we hoping these interactions go? Sure. Well, before that first appointment, even it's doing our research, asking I even one great recommendation that people like is to go into local um, parenting Facebook groups and do a post. If you feel comfortable, not everyone does like, hi, I'm plus size. Does anyone have a care provider they recommend that you feel is size inclusive? And then of course, checking with whoever your insurance provider is, um, calling ahead and asking the office, do they have any BMI restrictions? Unfortunately, many birth centers do. And so people get caught off guard showing up for that first, you know, all excited, the first appointment, and then learning actually your BMI is too high, we can't support you here. Um, so asking those questions in advance, asking if they have, you know, larger blood pressure cuffs and larger gowns. So those are important questions to ask. And then once you arrive at your selected office, like paying attention, are there chairs without arms? Are there places for you to sit comfortably that like he said, trusting your gut like how do you feel with the way people engage with you and interact with you all of those things are so so important and then when it comes to actually talking with your care provider you know asking you know what is your experience supporting people during a plus size pregnancy do you have any special you know protocols or additional testing you'd like me to do uh, will you classify me as high risk based only on my bmi and I have a whole free guide on how to connect with a size-friendly care provider over on plussizebirth.com that answers a lot of these questions and walks through everything. But those are a lot of the basic things that are so, so important and trusting your gut overall and knowing that you can switch care providers at any time, but that's not always easy or accessible for everyone. And it doesn't mean that just in your area, the ones that you do have to choose from, it doesn't mean they're going to be any more friendly either, you know, or you're better skilled to uh, support you in that. So, okay, one of the things that you should be looking out to out for too is when you go to your appointments, if they force you or they make a really huge deal about you being weighed or you're not being weighed, red flag, right? Um or not, not really. I think we need to unpack this for a little bit. Like I've been doing this work for over a decade and I'm very well involved and plugged in with the fat advocacy movement as well. And I love it, right? We're seeing viral images of do not weigh me, you know, going across the internet. And I think number one, people knowing that they are mentally competent adults that can make whatever decisions they want. So if you do not want to be weighed, absolutely. That is your right. You can say no. However, there are certain times when it is important to be weighed, right? It is just one measurement, but it is a measurement that tells us a lot. And in maternity care, especially, you know, most care providers are going to want an initial weight. They're going to want a baseline at least. And then near the end of pregnancy, you know, if you're planning to have an epidural or pain medication, we're going to need a weight then. So what I'd like to focus on is 
helping people to understand that you have options around being weighed. And yes, that first option is to say no. And that can be empowering. Absolutely. And I respect that choice. But again, you're going to get a lot of pushback. <laughs> so whenever possible, if you can ask your care provider, if they offer a blind weight, if you can be weighed without seeing the number, uh, you can even stand backwards on the scale. I know my son does that now. Um, if you're, if the scale is in a very public area, you can be asked to be weighed in private. So mm -hmm. I think knowing that we have options helps to alleviate some of that anxiety behind the scale. But no, I wouldn't say that it's a red flag if a care provider is like, okay, well, we need to get a weight. I would say it was a red flag if a care provider is making you feel ashamed because of your size, is harping on your size. Um, you know, there are weight gain guidelines set forth that are pretty limited for people that have a higher BMI. If you have a BMI, you know, Above 30, we're looking at about 11 to 20 pounds is the recommended weight gain. And while that can be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you see celebrities gaining 70 pounds. Um, it's a recommended weight based on evidence-based information that if people don't gain a lot of weight during pregnancy in a higher BMI, it reduces their risk. So I feel it's all about how these conversations are happening, right? Like we don't want to encourage people to diet during pregnancy or restrict calories or do anything like that. But we do find that when people are proactive with their health and being physically active, that people in larger bodies tend not to gain a lot of weight during pregnancy. Some people even lose weight. Again, not something we're not going to diet. Whenever possible, I encourage people to connect with a health at every size nutritionist. So it's this tightrope, right, between how do we look at the evidence-based information? How do we be the best advocate for ourselves and connect with a care provider that isn't making decisions based solely upon one number and looking at our overall health and wellness? Oh my goodness. Okay. Now you guys know why Jen like mesmerizes me every time she speaks. You just are so eloquent in the way that you present things and you present things that I think so many of us do not know. And we don't know where to get this information. Right. So, oh my gosh, if you guys aren't following Jen on Instagram, she's plus size birth over there. So you've got to follow her. What you just learned is like just a little snippet of what she has on her Instagram. All right. So along those same lines, Jen, risk. We always hear risk. This is a place where it can be very slippery when it comes to fear-based care. This can be very right. slippery um, with providers who maybe aren't comfortable with people who are in a larger body. Talk to us about the true risk and like, what do we really need to know about being pregnant and birthing in a bigger body? I think number one, there's nothing that only plus size people encouraging pregnancy, right? There's not, there's not one thing that only if you exist in a larger body, you're going to experience. However, we do see across the board, there are increased risks with the risks everyone faces during pregnancy for people that do have a higher BMI. Now, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists does not state that people should be classified as high risk based only on their BMI but that tends to be care provider specific and wow. care providers can set their own guidelines and safeguards. So again, when we talked about like asking those questions, asking, will I be classified as high risk? There's a balance there. There could be a very size inclusive care provider that still likes to order additional tests and wants to do additional screening. And there are people that want every ultrasound available and there are people that don't. So I'm not gonna say there's one wrong and there's one right. 
red flags to me are more that intuition of, am I being mistreated because of my size? Is my care provider telling me I am going to get gestational diabetes because of my size? Those are red flags. A care provider saying, hey, you know, we're nearing the end of pregnancy. I'd love to do an ultrasound just to get a better gauge on the positioning of your baby, you know, possible size of your baby. While we know that ultrasounds can be off on weight on either way, we just want to look at a few things. That to me is not uh, necessarily a red flag. So it's that balance. And I really think it's important in the work that I do as, you know, a certified childbirth educator to meet people where they're at. Lots of people want all the tests. Some people want none. Some people are like, I am not skipping on that scale. And I'm like, good for you. And other people are like, I want to be weighed. Good for you. So I think it's about meeting people where they're at. But when we look overall at the risk, there are slight increased risks. So what's a really helpful tip and tool to learn through that is the difference between relative risk and actual risk. So when your care provider tells you, because you have a BMI of 40, you're five times more likely to incur gestational diabetes, you're like, whoa, (laughs) like five times? Am I like 50% more likely? This, This feels really overwhelming and scary. What they're actually doing is they're telling you your relative risk. And, you know, for a visual there, that could be, you know, comparing he's risk factor to mine existing in a larger body. And, you know, their risk factor is going to be much lower than mine. But when we actually look at the actual risk factor, me, my risk factor existing in a larger body for gestational diabetes for someone with a BMI over 40, that's going to be around 17%. So that's nowhere near 50, right? That is an increase. But when I like to flip the script... And I like to say, hey, I've got about an 83% chance of not incurring gestational diabetes. And when we also focus on nutrition and physical activity, which is things that people in all sizes during pregnancy can focus on, it reduces our risk even further. So those numbers aren't set. So I think it's important not to get caught up in all these societal messages that tell us that you know, people in larger bodies have all these risks and all these bad things will happen and know that actually, when we look at the evidence, if you go into pregnancy healthy and you can be healthy at any size, the odds of having a healthy pregnancy are also on your side. Yeah. Okay. Listening to you talk about relative and actual risk is like one of my favorite things to do. And you have a video (laughs) on Instagram that just breaks it down so beautifully. And I honestly have never heard anyone describe it so comprehensively, but also like just easy to digest. Um, So I appreciate that. Okay. You mentioned GD, gestational diabetes. First, let's take a moment because I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. GD is not based on your size, you guys. It's hormonal. Um, There is some uh, genetics in there as well, but thin people and larger people get gestational diabetes just all the same. Um, That is like the number one misconception that gets under my skin. But my question is, and this is medical, so I think there's a healthy respect here to you know, remember you should be talking to your doctor about this, but in general, Jen, what do we know about the connection between the A1C blood test and how indicative it is that you may develop gestational diabetes later, or is it not at all? So when you exist in a larger body during pregnancy, um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends an early screening, an early glucose screening for gestational diabetes. And what they're actually looking for is to see if you're already pre-diabetic or diabetic. 
And so some people are like, well, can't I just bring my A1C numbers and provide them? And if I'm not already pre-diabetic or diabetic, then um, will my care provider accept that? And I don't have to do the screening. And those are conversations that you should absolutely have with your care provider. And I think it can be really confusing to exist in a larger body and have this early glucose screening and not be informed that eh, what they're actually looking for is just to see if you're already pre-diabetic pre and diabetic. And to answer your question, yes, if, if, if you have a higher risk of being pre-diabetic or diabetic, then you have a higher risk with having diabetes and pregnancy. So there are some increased risk factors and that's why there's the early screening recommendation. And then you're screened again around 24 to 28 weeks when everyone is screened for gestational diabetes, which like you said, you know, it has a lot more to do with your placenta than it does with your dietary habits or anything like that, or your BMI. So yes, if you were at a higher risk of having being pre-diabetic or diabetic, you have higher risk factors. Absolutely. But um, just because you exist in a larger body, doesn't mean that you will automatically uh, incur gestational diabetes or even be pre-diabetic. Pre so it's really based upon your individualized health and family history as well. Cool. This is why it's so important to, again, have a provider that is size friendly and is open to these conversation and is not going to run you through their clinic in three to five minute appointments where you can actually sit down and have these conversations about your A1C and what are your options here. And, um, you know, if I do pass this or I don't pass this, then how, you know, can I skip this test? Your provider may be open and that kind of stuff. Um, okay. I'd like to shift gears to our last conversation and all of these questions came from our crowd. And this has got to be the topic that they asked about the most. And I've boiled it down to the two kind of questions that I saw the most. Induction, it just never fails for people who are pregnant in a larger body. Somewhere along the line, somebody is going to bring up induction and whether it's warranted or not, it can just feel so frustrating because it feels like it's part of that stigma. And so the first question that we have is, is BMI alone an indicator or a reason, an evidence-based reason to induce? No, there's nothing that I've seen if just solely BMI, so not that you've incurred any risk factors just solely based on BMI. Do we see higher rates of induction? Absolutely. Do we see astronomical rates with cesarean birth? Absolutely. But no, BMI alone, however, will care providers make that recommendation? Yes. So again, that goes back to really looking at um, connecting with a size-friendly care provider. There was a study a couple of years ago that found for people with a higher BMI, they didn't have um, higher incidences of cesarean birth um, when they had been induced. So a lot of care providers took that and ran with it of like, okay, well, we're not seeing higher incidences of cesarean birth with induction. So then, you know, there, we started to see a lot more recommendations for induction. What they're really mainly concerned about is a bigger baby. So fetal macrosomia, which we see the correlation with gestational diabetes, but we do see it on its own with BMI. So I'm a huge fan of Rebecca Decker's work with um, evidence-based birth. And uh, she has an excellent evidence-based resource on induction and cesarean birth 
for bigger baby that breaks down all the evidence. And that's something that I always like to provide people with to kind of arm themselves in those conversations with their care provider with, hey, why are you making this induction recommendation? And here's this evidence-based information that it may not be warranted based only upon concerns of bigger baby. Again, ultimately you need to make the decision that's best for you. And I think these conversations need to be having very early on in pregnancy of will you recommend an induction based only upon my BMI? And then unfortunately we do see bait and switch happening near the end of pregnancy. Um, and that's when it gets really hard to advocate for yourself. One tool that I absolutely love as a childbirth educator is the BRAIN acronym. Um, you know, it runs down B for what are the benefits. So you're asking your care provider if they're like, okay, we'd like to in in give you an induction uh, and our concerns are a big baby, our concerns are because of your BMI. Say, well, what are the benefits? Or what are the risks? You know, trusting your intuition. What happens next? Or if I do nothing, you know, can we set a time? And if I go into labor on my own, um, and ultimately trusting your gut through it all is really important and knowing that you don't have to consent, but there, there's a lot that happens. And I know you have an episode he he on around like obstetrical violence and that it's not necessarily violence is the V word, but it can just be like pushing and manipulating. So connecting with that care provider who helps you to feel comfortable um, assessing what are their true concerns and their, and you might have that conversation with them and then feel great about having an induction or you might feel like, no, this is not the right decision for me. Um, but you need to feel good about the choices that are making and know that you can get a second opinion or switch care providers at any point as well. Look, no one here is trying to say that bad things don't happen in, in the pregnancy or that risks aren't there. Absolutely not. We're just saying to be very sure and to ask all of your questions, right? Make sure that yeah. you're being given that time to truly sift through the knowledge, ask the questions and come to a choice that you can feel confident in. That's that's really all that we want. Okay, so long let me unpack stillbirth yeah. real quick too, yeah. because that's another thing and you know, all the trigger warnings around that, but Stillbirth is another reason why we hear, um, you know, induction recommendations. And so when we look at the evidence of someone with a bigger body, um, we're looking at an increased risk, absolutely, but it goes from about 4% for someone who exists in a smaller body to 7% around that for someone who exists in a larger body. So yes, there is an increase, but again, it's not astronomical. We do know that that rate does start to go up closer to 40 weeks of pregnancy, right? For people of all sizes um, around concerns around stillbirth. So these are all conversations that you need to, you know, have with your care provider. And I have an article uh, on plussizebirth.com that walks through the um, stillbirth um, study and has that information there as well. Yeah, and we'll link all of these things, that article, the one from Evidence Base First, everything so that you can find it underneath and make it easy to pull so that you can really be equipped to go into um, your next appointment. So Jen, can it be like a little bit assumed that bigger people have bigger babies? I mean, I'm incredibly small. My partner is incredibly small. While I could grow and birth a 10 pound baby, I'm not expecting to because our genetics don't really have that in the cards for us. Can you, 
I guess I'm struggling to understand how do we know if we're really concerned about a big baby because it's a big baby, like truly concerning or because like me and my husband are larger people and we're going to make a bigger baby and my body can do that. Well, like you're saying, there's, there's so many just, just different factors to take into account your medical family health history, your, you know, mom's health history, your own. I mean, you're interviewing someone that had a BMI over 50 and gave birth to a six pound baby. So um, I mean, he was a little early, but you know, it, there's, I, we can't say, oh, because you exist in a larger body, you're going to have X, Y, and Z. Are there increased risks that you're going to have a larger baby? Yes, but they're, they're small, right? And then there's risks that you might have preterm labor and there's risks that you might go to post dates. Like there's so many different studies. <laughs> and, um, I actually, uh, spoke at the National Institutes of Health uh, for the Pregnancy um, for Everybody initiative with leaders in maternal health care. And um, I was asked by one of the directors there, like, what would you want to see study-wise? And I'm like, I want to see people with a high BMI who go into pregnancy without any risk factors, without already having maybe, you know, being pre-diabetic or having high blood pressure, but, you know, healthy people in uh, larger bodies being um, monitored through their pregnancy trajectory. And many years ago, there was a study um, in the UK on that. And what they found was for second time um, people during pregnancy who have a higher BMI, their risk factor was actually lower than first time people during pregnancy uh, with a low BMI. So we have some studies out there, but there's not a lot more recent stuff. Um, and I think the more conversations that we have around this topic helps to elevate the reality that we want to have these conversations. We need to see these studies. When we look statistically for people who can get pregnant, we're looking at about, you know, what is it? I know it's 36, 35.6%. Don't quote me exactly, but just over 35%. Um, people are classified and I don't like the O word, but they're classified as obese who can get pregnant. So like, 36%. And then if we look at uh, including the overweight category, we're looking at pretty much the majority of people um, during pregnancy, you know, I think it's like 60% of people in their childbearing years who can become pregnant are classified as overweight or obese. And of that, it's 30, about 36% um, that are classified as obese. So we're not talking about the sensationalized TV shows where people are demeaned who exist in larger bodies and get pregnant. And I think that that's a common misconception. It's actually most of the people you see at the grocery store, right, that have a PMI, you know, over 30 that can be classified in a way that can, can change the trajectory of how they are treated and the recommendations that are made during pregnancy. So I think it all goes back to connecting with that size-friendly care provider that is making evidence-based recommendations in a way that doesn't make you feel like there's something wrong with you because there isn't. Absolutely. It all really does revolve around your care provider. I say it all the time, but your care provider is make it or break it. All right, Jen, last question. We get asked a lot on social media and by our clients, if I'm birthing in a bigger body, does that mean I'm going to require additional medications? Does that mean that my induction is going to be longer because my body's not going to take as fast or I'm going to need more? What does the data say around this? Okay. So not just for induction, but we know that the first stage of labor is 
typically longer for people who exist in a larger body. So dilating, right, all the way through. So we really want to encourage people to get into different positions as much as possible, you know, every 20 minutes to 30 minutes using if you are going through an induction and limited to the bed, which isn't often the case, usually you can get up. But if you are asking for a peanut ball, which can be a great tool to get into different positions, asking for a birth ball, um, using whatever tools are provided wherever you're giving birth um, to continuously move into different positions, listening to your body, hiring a doula whenever possible. We know that doulas are incredible with helping to um, reduce um, certain risk factors, right? And so um, I think there's some great studies around reducing, um, you know, forceps use and epidural use and all those things. But um, doulas are great for inductions too, to help continuously move and to look out and to help you to find your voice and advocate for yourself. Uh, on the flip side, we have studies to show that the pushing phase is actually shorter, can be shorter for people in larger bodies, where um, I have this article, it's so polarizing, but some people are told that their vagina is too fat to birth their babies, so they need to have a cesarean birth, when that's just so counterintuitive to the evidence that shows that, you know, pushing can actually be shorter time for people in a larger body. Uh, the concern that some care providers have is shoulder dystocia and soft tissue dystocia, but there's nothing to say that someone who exists in a larger body's vagina can be so fat. That is clearly bias against people of size. Um, so will you need more medication during an induction? I can't answer that question for you. That's really going to be your individualized health needs throughout an induction, whether they're using a Foley bulb or not, what are they using to induce? What are the what are the procedures? So um, you'll really wanna have those individualized conversations with your care provider, but knowing that overall, whether you're having an unmedicated birth, medicated, induced or not, we do see that it does take longer during that first stage of labor for people with a higher BMI. So getting into those different positions. And if you can wait longer to have an epidural, if you can stay upright, if you can do all the things you'll learn in your great childbirth education or you know, through Kiki's program, um, doing all of that is so incredibly important. Um, but you know, ultimately, you need to listen to your body, listen to your care provider, have a good plan in place and we can, you know, have all the plans we want, but birth will unfold the way it will. Um, and just one thing that is much um, more of a struggle and can be difficult um, during labor for people of size is that monitors were not designed for larger bodies. So whenever possible, ask if they have wireless monitors, ask if they offer the Novi wireless monitor that was designed specifically for people with a higher BMI. So those little intricate things are really important to have conversations about in advance. Tell us about the Novi. It's a sticker and it sticks to your belly. Yeah, it's a patch system um, of wireless monitors that was specifically designed for people with a higher BMI um, for fetal monitoring and monitoring of your contractions. And that way you don't have to wear those stupid, annoying bands. You got, um, <laughs> yes. They are stupid and annoying. <laughs> but like with everything we talk about, I've, I've talked to some plus size people that actually prefer the bands over the Novi. So it, it's so everything with birth. Well, we have all these statistics and all these try this, don't try that. Like it's so individualized. Yeah. And so 
having a great team, having great resources, becoming educated about your options um, is just really important. And then deciding what you feel is best for you. So nothing you've said today, and you said this in the beginning, is specific to someone in a larger body. None of the risk, none of um, the extra things that you kind of need to prepare for. They're all things that people of all sizes. And if you're going to be in control of your pregnancy at any size, these are things that you need to talk through. And I think that is a point that not a lot of providers are going to give you as a consumer. They are going to make you feel like your birth is so different that you've got tons of extra things that there's like all these, I don't know, just added layers. There's somehow extra added stress and pressure always for people who are birthing in a bigger body. And I think this conversation, I hope at least that you walk away feeling confident that that doesn't have to be the case, that no matter what size your body, you should be getting individualized care anyway, because that's true for everyone. Um, yeah. History matters, your health history matters. Yes, your body size matters. Um, your goals and your preferences matter. Your place of birth and your provider matter. All of them are individual factors that will then compound and give you your birth experience. Yeah, I mean, are there increased risks? Absolutely. Should we be talking about them? Yes. Are there additional testing? Um, yes. I mean, that's care provider specific and based on your unique health history, but yes, there are differences. Is it harder to find plus size maternity clothes? Absolutely. Like there are differences, but are there baby carriers and wraps that fit parents of all sizes? Absolutely. It's just knowing where to find them and having those resources available and not feeling so stigmatized and different during pregnancy. Like Will your be will your belly potentially look more like a B shape during pregnancy than a D? Yes, but that's common, but no one talks about it. So um, you know, you can head on over to plussizebirth.com where we talk about like what's a B belly and where to find cute maternity clothes that are affordable and tips and tricks for wearing your own clothes longer. So, well, no, there's not one thing that's different. Yes, there are a lot of things that go into pregnancy in a larger body especially the emotional components that a lot of people don't talk about and you feel othered in your pregnancy experience. So it helps to connect with resources and communities and other plus size parents to know that you are not alone in your experience and that here are some tips and tools to feel more supported and empowered. Heck yeah. And you're doing that. So tell us where people can find you. How can they work with you? What kind of programs do you have out there? You mentioned being a childbirth educator. Do you do classes? How can people get a hold of your information and you? Sure. I have plussizebirth.com is a blog that I've been writing on for over a decade now, full of evidence-based information and all those helpful things on like, where do you even find gliders for your nursery or rocking chairs that have a wider width, like everything that you can think around parenting. Where do you find plus size diapers for postpartum? Like all of those little intricate things. So you feel supported are in that one space. And then I have the My Plus Size Pregnancy Guide, which is a book. And I also have an audio book that walks you through everything you could want to know about feeling prepared. And then again, empowered throughout your plus size pregnancy and walks through a lot of the things we've talked about here, but so much more. Uh, as well. And in fact, for your listeners, you can get 20% off with that coupon code birth lounge. Um, and I love the audiobook component because nowadays we're so busy and only have so much time to read. But I'm also a podcaster. So I have all that um, equipment for the audiobook. So I have a podcast, the plus mommy podcast. 
And the tagline is from bumps to bellies, we talk about it all. So it's really for people who are plus size, um, not just around pregnancy, though we do share a lot of birth stories, but also around like, we talk about like getting a Brazilian wax when you're plus size. And like, um, I, I've interviewed, you know, celebrities and uh, actors and authors who exist in larger bodies and them navigating their own field. So it's just a great place to feel more heard and seen in your lived experiences as plus size people. I think that's really key, especially in pregnancy, is find the places that are filled with your people. Um, And don't let people who are uneducated in this realm or even size unfriendly people other you. Um, You deserve more than that. You're better than that, you guys. You totally deserve better. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Jen, you are full of wisdom. I mean, I've learned so much from your Instagram. Truly, people, check her out on Instagram. She's a wealth of knowledge and I really appreciate you being here. Otherwise, listeners, we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.